Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Hey guys, welcome back to the show, Hashing It Out. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty. With me is my trusted co-host, Colin Couchet. Say hello, everybody, Colin. Hello, everybody, Colin. Nice and simple. I saw you, you moved your lips. You, you were basically saying it as I was saying I it. was. I actually did that. I wanted to see if you kept the cadence. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got good rhythm. What can I say? Uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about Nano, the Nano blockchain. And we have on Colin Lemahue, uh, the founder to help dive into how it works, why it works, where it's going, how it's been, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So Colin, why don't you do the main thing, give us a quick introduction as to kind of how you got into the space, and then we'll just start talking about Nano. Yeah, yeah, hey everyone, it's good to be here. Um, so I got interested in cryptocurrency probably in about um, 20, or 2009 when I heard about Bitcoin. I just kind of let it on the sidelines for a while, sit in the back of my head, um, and then a few years later, I revisited it, kind of wondering where the whole industry was, and um, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of adoption. So I kind of looked at it from a technical standpoint, seeing you know if I could figure out what it would take to kind of get digital money out there. And it seemed like there were a couple things that I could contribute. So I worked on that for a while, and then after um, some months of planning, I decided to start on uh, what was Rayblox at the time and worked on that for a couple of years by myself. And then we started a team in tw- late 2017 um, to kind of bring it forward, bring the protocol forward. So we changed it to Nano and that's what we've been working on ever since. What's your background? Why, why did you, why were you able to, to provide um, tactical insight and, and, and maybe and innovate in that, in that way? Yeah, well, I uh, am a software engineer, and I was working at Qualcomm um, as a uh, compiler engineer or an assembler engineer. So I kind of have this like embedded performance tuning um, type of background in computers. And that's how I got it from a technical standpoint. And then, you know, building a currency. I've always been interested in economics. I've never been uh, through a university program on it, but um it, it's always fascinated me kind of figuring out you know macroeconomics microeconomics and then currency is its own kind of beast so it was fortunate that you know i had the performance background and then the interest in economics um to kind of put that all together yeah it's definitely i think it's a it's a similar story for a lot of the engineers in the space is that they have some type of technical background um usually in computing or so, in software engineering and then um they had an interest in money. Maybe they didn't know they had an interest in money. They got introduced into Bitcoin, and they're like, "Oh shit! I kind of like the idea of money." Yeah. Um, at least like like the, the concept of how it works and how it, and how you use it and what it is. And then, you know, the standard trope of down the rabbit hole you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it's the economics and kind of the politics around money. Um, I one of the underlying things of how we design Nano is to not have you know monetary policy inside of it to not be non-inflationary and those are things that i would like to see in a in a currency that i um use so it was um it was cool to see you know bitcoin started off with having fixed parameters on that and then uh yeah i mean i thought that was a good idea it it needed to be done because people losing their money um to inflation and all that stuff i see is very unethical so Kind of that standpoint mixed into this too um piqued my interest let's, let's talk so about what, go ahead, yeah. so yeah let's talk about what nano is um i i did go through it a little bit um i saw some keywords that kind of jumped out at me <clears throat> one of them is dynamic proof of work mm-hmm. and i was wondering if maybe you could go over like what do you what is nano what is your key innovation why do you dif- how do you differentiate from existing systems yeah 
Uh, so our key differentiator is our focus, um, our, our use case that we're focusing on, which is to be uh, purely a currency. So we're not adding um, like smart contracts to it. We're not do, doing any of the um, s- small things that move it away from the concept of a currency. You know, Nano Foundation that runs this isn't a, isn't a business. It's a nonprofit that kind of develops this. Um, so our, our key differentiator is that we have a very, very fast confirmation time on transactions. That was one of the things that identified when I was kind of doing research way back in the day was that in order for this to be useful by people in a day-to-day thing, it needs to be roughly equivalent to what they have right now and, and hopefully faster. And unfortunately it was neither of those. It was actually slower than like me swiping my credit card. So just from a user experience, I thought that that was never going to go over um, very well, or you have to have other things in order to cover it. Um, like second layers. So that was one of them. Um, our transaction speeds are less than half a second generally. Uh, and they're, they're, so they're incredibly fast. You can barely notice them when you try to pay for things. And that's that's like confirmed, right? Yeah, that's, Can't that's change fully, it. Con- yeah, fully confirmed on chain. So there's not a second layer. It's not a zero conf, um, it's, it's done. Uh, and, the, and we get that by our internal system. It's a voting-based system that generates the consensus. So that's it, it's easy to send out network traffic, and that's why we can get really, really fast confirmation. <laughs> so um, the other thing that I thought was going to be a problem was the amount of fees inside the networks. And it kind of goes back again to why would anyone want to use a cryptocurrency instead of uh, what they're currently using? It has to be better or very, very, at least pretty much similar. So the fees I thought were going to be an issue in the network. It's a bad user experience. People having to type them in to figure out what this fee means. Like how much, if I ask my grandma to pay me something, like how is she going to calculate a fee? Um, it, it was a very bad user experience. So we were trying to eliminate that too. So we don't have any in-network fees, which is a, another key differentiator with um, pretty much everyone. There's a couple other you know coins out there that are fast. Um, I don't think they're quite as fast, but there aren't coins, other coins out there that don't have fees in the network. And that's makes our uh, user experience very, very simple. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming since you don't have fees, you're doing something like, uh, either a VDF or proof of work on a per transaction basis. Is that yeah. likely yeah. the case? What are yeah, you doing? Yeah. yeah, you nailed it. It's, uh, it's a small proof of work. Um, it's not a VDF, but it's a, it's a small proof of work that you attach to each transaction that is the throttling mechanism. It's just like a hash cache type of thing. Uh, yeah, and no, we're actually today, um, as of when this is being recorded, going to be releasing some more information on a, um, a new some research I've been doing on that. So, we'll oh, talk cool. About that later you want to talk about that now? Like, yeah, we're ready to go. Like, uh, what? Uh, uh, what okay. <laughs> yeah, th- this is actually something. So, like, we've we've actually looked into here at uh, Ava is like something that some of our plugin systems could maybe implement is using a um, uh, proof of work as a, a fee list system. Um, mm-hmm. And it does seem to make some sense, um, but it also, you know, seems to have the downside of, you know, is it actually a fee? Is it equivalent to a fee? Does it actually provide, especially since, um, you know, you can't really know what system is going to be using the particular portion of your network you know like how can you say that an iot device with like a raspberry pi equivalent is the same as somebody with a graphics card and so like i'm wondering what what uh what do you feel about that from the proof of work standpoint and maybe you could get into some of the stuff that you've researched on that i think before before we do that i want to i want to get a, a broader uh understanding at least for the audience of um some of the architectural differences of Nano, because mm-hmm. you, it's, it's, it's a DAG-based system which allows for a lot of these things. Like um, some of the consensus yeah. mechanisms that are around, particularly yours, only work in the context of using it, like using the right data structure. And a DAG is what you use, which allows for that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. We can talk about that. Um, so you, you're right. We, um, we do have a, a DAG system, so that's one of the uh, changes that I made to this compared to a traditional blockchain where. Uh, everyone's kind of fighting for the front in order to get their transaction uh, put into the front of the list. So we have um, one of each account has its own chain. You, you chain your own transactions together and everyone, uh, all the ledgers and all the nodes in the network track all these changes, all these chains as they move on. So 
actions in my chain are not affected by actions in somebody else's chain. And this is, this kind of goes back to the computer science design behind it. Um, if you have an unlimited number of people trying to put their piece of data into one spot, that's an enormous amount of contention. And that's why, you know, you have the, the validators, the miners that kind of solve that contention problem. Um, but it takes time to solve contention. If you can eliminate contention entirely, you can you can kind of skip that entire problem and then you don't have to worry about it. So we eliminate contention by making one account per chain. The only person that can add to your chain is yourself. So there's there's no contention as long as you know you're you're making your own self chain. You you can you can kind of mess it up and then the network will have to fix it if you try to. This is our double spend problem. So if somebody messes up their chain and doesn't make it a one, one follows another order, um, then the network will like force it to one way or the other. But absence of doing that, um, you can just go on and on and on by yourself, making your transaction line, and it'll never be interfered with, interfered with by someone else. And what, what in, the, in the point of contention, what happens there? Like, say, I, I, how do you keep people from, from staying honest and validating their own work, especially when a, a, a currency is a inherently two-party system? Um, so like if yeah. I, if I maintain my own chain, how do I ensure that the other person is updating theirs appropriately or that, uh, they're sure that I'm updating mine appropriately. Yeah. So we, um, as I alluded to earlier, have a, a voting based system to show consensus on it. And you, so we have, um, when you send out a transaction to the network, it gets flooded out, you know, it's pretty standard, pretty simpler, pretty simple. And there are nodes on the network called representatives. And they're the ones that are um, voting on these transactions and nodes in the network accumulate these votes, count them up uh, in order to make sure that a particular transaction that they've observed has been observed and confirmed by everyone else in the network. So this whole process is the thing that happens in the less than half a second. The votes go out, they get counted, and then it's confirmed. Um, and it can do that very, very quickly. So usually the next question people have is, well, who are the representatives? Is If this is a decentralized system that needs to be done in a decentralized way. So the way that we designed that was balance holders in the network. So if you have a balance uh, in an account on the network, part of um, your account state is a, rep a representative of your choosing. So that representative can vote with, but they can't spend the balance that you have in, in your account. Um, so you can go offline you, and the representative stays online and votes on your behalf. So you have like a, basically a, a bunch of um, uh, people who maintain availability on the network to perform votes and people delegate their weight and their weight is basically the amount of money Absolutely. they hold to those, to those, to those uh, basically watchers for voting. Yep. Yep. That's exactly how it is. And you can uh, reassign that vote weight at any time. Um, just by doing another transaction for yourself on the network. So if you don't like a validator, um, you know, you can pick someone else if there's some sort of problem, you know, like this validator has gone offline for uh, whatever problem, either the, uh, the company's gone or maybe there's some sort of uh, regulatory issue that's new and now they can't run it anymore. Um, you can reassign it to any other representative that you want uh, within, you know, half of a second. So why would someone do this if there's no fees in the network? Why, like, what's their incentive? Yeah. So this, I, I get this question a lot, but you kind of have to back it up uh, one more step. It's like, what, what is someone's incentive to use the network whatsoever? Yeah. Um, and the, the incentive to use a cryptocurrency network is it solves your currency problem better than any other thing. So people want to use nano because it is fast and there are no fees and you can send money to anywhere in the, anywhere in the world at that speed so that that is eliminating expense on um a company's balance sheet wire transfers cost money bank accounts cost money and time and they're slow there's float risk so this is all a savings to them so when you count the amount of money that it takes to run a node which is on the order of 40 to 60 dollars a month that that's a, a trivial amount of money in order to run a validating node. Um, and plus they get advertising revenue out of this. So there's a, you know, a top list of, um, not advertising revenue, they get advertisement out of it. There's a top list of, you know, the top validators, the top weight, um, representatives, 
And if you're on that list, um, you know, when people go and look at the representative list, your name is going to be shown on there. So you kind of get some brand recognition as a contributor to the you know, community and, you know, people click and go to your site, get some click through traffic. Um, so that's why people have done this so far. And for, for $40 to be on a list that the entire community um, will see whenever somebody like wants to look at it is a very, very low cost to high ROI. And the last, the last like main point to this, or like, I guess, hole that I see, not hole, but like uh, ignorance that I have with respect to nano is the digital scarcity part. Um, what is, what, mm -hmm. what are the token economics of, of nano? Are there, is it just like a, a flat inflation rate over, over a period of time? Is it like a geometrically decaying series like Bitcoin? Um, no, no, how do you no, create, actually, how do you it's actually, it's actually fully distributed right now. So there's, we the initial. So we, we distributed our coins differently. We um, sent them out through a free faucet. And the reason we did that is because we, we kind of wanted to move away from the, um, you know, kind of the, the rich get richer mentality where if you have a lot of money to spend on uh, mining hardware, then you're just gonna get more money out of the network, uh, which eliminates a lot of people that just don't have the capital to, to run a mining rig, or they just, I don't know, they don't, they don't have the expertise to do it. So we distributed that over a free faucet for two years. And what people would do was solve Google captchas for, um, they would just solve a Google captcha and it would tally how many you got every hour and every hour for um, the two years that we ran this, it would send a distribution out to the, the top um, people that got clicks. So we, got, we used the Google captcha to, so it wasn't uh, bottable. Um, it, we made sure we got a human on the other end. Mechanical turkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, some people did. But, I would imagine you know, yeah. that's a that, that's a valid use case too. You know, you want to work and get paid in something else. You know, that's as legitimate as anything else. Um, it, it was funny when we were running that. It it was it was interesting to keep this site up because it had a lot of traffic. We got a ton of traffic out of um, Southeast Asia, um, South America, basically any place where um, people are making a lot of money per hour. And this was a way that people made money. People like quit their job and were feeding their family on this. And they were like, oh, thank you. I made I made $15 this week off of clicking Google captures. Uh, this is like gonna set me up for another two weeks. I'm like, well, don't get carpal tunnel. And <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. What about um, like the we... total, the total supply, like that, that distribution, is that set for ever or what's the inflation yeah. rate for that? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's set right now. So we turned that off in October 2017. Um, when we were internally, there was a number that was like the total supply. Um, but at, we just decided we wanted to stop earlier than that and cut off the inflation. So we sent the remaining two thirds, um, one third is in circulation, the remaining two thirds we sent to a burn address and then just eliminated the um inflation so it's it's a fixed supply right now i mean technically it'll it's actually slightly deflationary just because people lose keys and and whatnot but um yeah it's it's fully out there so we're never going to have like a, a governance question of you know what's the inflation right now what's an appropriate fee structure to have just eliminating all these points of contention is our primary focus cool cool so Okay, back to the technicals. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm still kind of curious about your memory hard uh, proof of work uh, algorithm. Um, what, yeah. what do you, what do you, what do you do in there? What, first off, let me just, just could you describe to the audience what um, memory hard proof of work is, what the drawbacks are to some of the existing algorithms, and what you guys are kind of doing different. Yeah, yeah. So the the memory hard proof of work, what a, a standard proof of work. Um, is just a difficult problem that needs to be solved. And generally what we want with all of these proofs is that time has elapsed. It's, it's less concerning in most areas. You know, some areas it still is uh, interesting um, to have other properties like um, an amount of hardware is dedicated to this <clears throat> or an amount of energy has been expended during this process. Uh, usually what people want though, is that time has elapsed. Uh, so that's generally what we want with this too. But um, what happens with the existing proof of works is you can you can make you, you can parallelize them very, very easily. It doesn't take a lot of hardware gates in order to do a hash function. 
and you can stamp out uh, millions and millions of gates onto chips in order to solve this problem in parallel. Um, so memory hard is a, a different approach to this where it's trying to get, it's trying to prove not only that time has elapsed, but also a certain amount of gates were like logic gates, transistors were dedicated to solving this problem. So you need to design the, the question that it's solving in that way. Um, and the reason, there's a couple reasons to use memory gates. Uh, the top ones are memory is extremely commoditized. It's one of the, the densest and least cost um, type of chips that are made. They're pretty much universal across, um, you know, different processors or whatever. So they're very, very commoditized already. They're highly optimized by, you know, Samsung um, and all the other people that generate memory. So there's a reason to do that. And then also just kind of from a physics standpoint, when you have logic gates you know, that go from zero to one, there's an enormous amount of power consumption in that transition. Um, going from zero to one or one to zero, just simply changing those state values is where the, your most of your power goes up inside of your computer. Um, so memory, if it's just sitting there at a specific um, value is consuming less uh, power per transistor. So you can hook all these things together. Time has happened. There's a certain amount of transistors here and the power consumption is you know low, lower than um, using pure logic gates. So that's the reason we're doing all of the memory hard stuff. Um, the issue is that it, it's, it's pretty hard to actually make one of these things. Uh, computer science guys are uh, pretty smart at breaking these things down and you know kind of getting an edge on it. Um, so that was that was what the research that I started at the beginning of this year um, in order to do this. I, I looked at the other ones that are out there. Um, there's some pretty good ones that have been made, proof of works, but um, the, the main issue that we ran into is the proof size is too big. So our transactions, because we send them out individually, we process them individually, they're around 200 bytes a piece. So a lot of these proofs were like 500 bytes or like 1K or 2K. Yeah, some of your advertising and, is, is basically, it's a lot of saying like each transaction fits within the size of a UDP packet. That's something you seem to be yeah. constrained by. Yeah, I mean, we're not constrained by that anymore. We we did use UDP originally, and then we um, changed it to TCP for the flow control. Okay. Um, we'll we'll probably actually move to Quick in the future for the um, the multi-channel per connection endpoint property, but, which is just interesting and nice to have. But yeah, we're not technically constrained by that. But we actually we do want to keep them small um, because that decreases the latency. It's it, it's kind of the same trade-off as some of the other coins where they're going like big blocks small blocks thing yeah. um you know big blocks have throughput but it takes longer to send the block so it, it increases the latency so we wanted to keep the latency as low as possible so yeah these proofs would just not be big they would at least double the size of our transactions and in, in other cases like 10x multiply it so uh did research on this and um yeah just came up with another way to do it um so I've been working on this this year. It's uh, we're, we're putting up a technical article on it, but it's 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 it is also a search a random searching algorithm where it's trying to find um, an equation with a specific property that is extremely hard to do if you're just um, using a CPU to kind of plug and chug and make attempts on it. So kind of like hash cache where you just do a random nuance. That that would be very very slow. But if you store parts of this in memory, um, it'll speed it up significantly. So there's a, a very big advantage to using memory in this. I see. And and do you do that once per transaction, or is this like a thing you have to do repeated times to get the memory you know, proof handled? Like, what is the what is the model for the proof? Um, yeah, it's just it's done once per transaction. So. Um, when you create a transaction, you know, you have your transaction hash and based on that, you generate this um, proof of work and you present the proof along with the block to the validators um, on the network and then they either accept it or, or drop it. Um, uh, yeah, another property, uh, just to go back, uh, that we really, really needed was um, 
very, very efficient validation. There's a couple of, there's some very good like work proving and memory proving algorithms out there. Things like argon, uh, the, the key derivation functions, but they're not fast to validate. They're almost as slow as they are to generate. Um, and it, it just, it's not feasible for 200 bytes to be validated by something that takes, you know, 50 or hundred milliseconds to validate. That's 10 to 20 validations per second. And that's can easily be overwhelmed uh, with network traffic. Yeah, Argon's good for things like passwords storing and salting your password and blah Absolutely blah blah right. and all that. Yeah, it's great for that. It's side channel protected and yada yada yada. But yeah, it's it's slow intentionally. Um, exactly. So and that's just to prevent that kind of stuff. So it's also memory hard too, which is you know interesting as well. But um, I, I think what I'm, I'm kind of curious is like you said you had an account and each each account has its own sort of chain is that correct mm -hmm. did i understand that properly yeah. and that your dag actually is kind of like validating all these chains and that's where the the validators do that kind of work i would assume i'm kind of having a hard time visualizing the model at the moment but maybe you can explain that in a second but first i have the question like if you have this chain and it's your chain and only your chain and you have to do this proof of work in order to send a transaction across the network and only you can add blocks to your chain correct um mm -hmm. then can you pre-calculate the proof of work and just have it there and then just immediately send whenever you want is that how you get your your speed um oh yeah so we before when i said that you you generate the proof of work based on the your transaction hash we actually have um like one little trick inside of it where you you generate the proof of work based on your previous transaction hash so you can cal you can pre-calculate one proof of work um in advance and latency hide um, that generation time and usually people don't do a lot of transactions like i'm not doing multiple transactions per minute or second i do maybe one per day or week or something so um after i send my transaction my wallet will start pre-calculating the next one for the next transaction that i'm doing and so interesting so that, that that's only for spam prevention correct right yeah that's not it doesn't affect the consensus the consensus is purely um a vote-based system and then my next my next question to that is going to be um, when designing a specific type of proof of work, you're usually doing that to map it onto a specific type of hardware um, that's optimized for that particular algorithm. Does that mean that in order to use Nano in the future, you're going to have to have like it's going to be most efficient to use a specific type of hardware to do it? Uh, well, that's kind of why we use the the commodity um, the commodity hardware that's already out there. So yeah, DDR4 memory is the hardware that you use and you just need a computer that has enough of that to do the generation. What is enough? Um, right now we have it tuned to about four to eight gigabytes of memory is a typical consumption. And if you use less than that, it, it slows down pretty heavily. I don't know where that's going to land. Part of part of our like release thing in the next week or so is going to kind of be figuring out where um, is a good amount to do this. Yeah, I was but, thinking about uh, that, that wow, fits within that, fit, that fits within like the newer Raspberry Pis. So like yeah. cheap cheap devices are going to be able to do this uh, reasonably so. Um, but I mean they'll, yeah. they'll be dedicated to doing this, but it's still like thirty bucks for something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the hardware investment's really really cheap, and we uh, we are designing this. It's we designed it for Nano, but I think other people will be interested in this also. So it's going to be an open source library that, um, you know, I hope other people use because I think the, I think our goals are all same in a lot of ways um, in order to do this. So wait a minute. So it takes like four to eight gigabytes to produce the proof, correct? Um, I, so uh, like this happens like fast. Is that what you're saying? So it happens so fast you basically don't realize, like what is the, uh, what is the time to actually produce your proof of work? Like what is, what is your target there? Well, right now with the, the four to eight gigs of memory, um, our target is with the GPU, like a couple seconds. So like one, two, three seconds or so. Um, but I assume other people want like longer times. So you, you can, and longer times mean either you're gonna have to use more memory to it or apply more memory to it or um, wait a lot longer. So I hear you, I hear you. This whole thing is it, the whole thing is statistical, so it isn't they, you can't absolutely you, you don't have to have the um, most optimal amount of memory applied to this. It's just going to be the, the the fastest way to do it. So if you you have the memory, you're going to over um, double the amount of time slightly that's going to take to generate it. 
Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, what would the side effects of this be? I mean, like, uh, I guess, for instance, like, if you're, like, building this for a gaming system and you're trying to, you know, do a microtransaction mid-game, like, it could cause a stutter in the, in the system that you're on. But, like, that's minor compared to, like, the fact that you can get this through pretty quickly. So, I mean, uh, it's interesting to kind of think how that would impact user experience. Um, the other question I kind of have is, like, um, do you see advancements in hardware being a big impact on what you're doing? For instance, like memristors, um, where you have compute and memory like bound together almost. Um, do you feel like uh, those kind of things might impact your uh, proof of work algorithm? Um, I, I don't think so. So um, the reason that we looked at this was, uh, uh, what was I going to say? I, I had one one thing that just this last sentence it reminded me of. Um, oh. Uh, just as a side note, the, our proof of work is outside of the like signed transaction payload that you send. So the person that generates the transaction doesn't need to be the one that um, applies the work to the transaction. And we use that a lot in a lot of ways for um, low power units in order to generate transactions. So your Raspberry Pi can sign it, send it off to um, your high powered machine like that you have in your house or your, your company um, that doesn't have the signing key and it can still apply the proof of work and then send it out to the network. Um, so you kind of do oh, that. Oh, that, that's really cool. That's useful, definitely, for sure. Yeah, yeah. we did that tethering and designed it to be outside the, the transaction payload. Alexa, um, send my transaction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like all these low-power devices, they're not going to put anything in there that consumes power. They're designed to, to sip power, not to consume them. They're definitely not going to pay extra money to put something in that consumes more. So... Um, gotcha. Yep. And then, sorry, what was your what was the question? Corey, what was my on? question? I got distracted by how, how cool that was. Yeah, um, I don't remember. <laughs> oh well. Um, so uh, I, I guess the only thing that to, the thing I, I really want answered, and since you know we have got like twenty minutes left, um, is how are you doing the voting based consensus? Um, it. I mean, the so when a, a transaction comes out. Uh, somebody, or let's just say that one of the representatives observes the transaction. So it uh, looks at the block, it appears to fit, it, it's signed correctly. Um, and what it does is it sends out a vote for that block's hash. And it puts it into a memory, kind of a, like a mempool, or it's just in memory. It sits there and it waits for um, the confirmation quorum to come in. So it will announce its vote out to everyone else and it'll watch votes coming from the other representatives coming in and it'll tally them up and if it sees you know somebody else winning or a, a different block winning it will remove the transaction that it had picked and then switch to the winner and then reissue its vote um, for the new winner it's kind of bandwagon voting and then it collapses to one of those solutions is that is is it is this quorum responsible for the entirety of the of the network or is it is it is it somewhat sharded? No, there's there's no sharding. Um, so the computational otherwise... effort of the quorum grows with the amount of transactions that are happening across the network. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's uh, people have talked about like sharding cryptocurrency, but it it it's not. A tech, it's not a possible thing to do that. It, it goes back to the, the uh, cap problem where you, in order for it, a, a currency to work, you, you need to have correct accounting. So you need um, this, the C and the A properties to be there. So the one that you can't have, the one that you can't omit is partitioning. You, you cannot validate transactions isolated, completely isolated from the network. You need so to you have some sort of like- account. What was that? Do you want to hold a single unit of account? Like, yes. If you want to hold the balance across the network properly, then you need you need to have kind of global knowledge there. Which yeah, is exactly. What the is. Yep. Yeah, you need to change the state. Change needs to be in sync with everyone else. But yeah, like partitioning in it, even in you know um, proof of work coins and everything, it's like you you can't validate the transactions in complete isolation. You need to have uh, a little bit of information from you know your friends or something else in the network in in some way, shape, or form. Now, like the proof of work coins did it really, really uh, cleverly and efficiently. You only need to know like a recently confirmed block and the approximate current hash rate, and but then you can validate it with that. So our um, the amount of 
bandwidth used for our validation process is, is higher um, than like proof of work coins, but the latency is much, much lower. So that's just kind of the trade-off that we have. Yeah, it seems that. as though like um, if you hold the latency constant, you're going to have increasing computational demand from the from the um, uh, well, increasing computational and network demand uh, for the validators to be able to do their job. If you want to hold latency at the, at the same time, right? Yeah. So it is that's the that's the quality of service mechanism that is actually um, the dynamic proof of work that we were talking about earlier uh, is is our quality of service mechanism. So um, the overall limiter to uh, our network's TPS isn't like a fixed number. It's it's the bandwidth dedicated to the network um, given the conditions. So what the validators do is um, have like a bandwidth cap or just kind of a limit of which that they uh, process transactions. So that that will kind of implicitly set the TPS that the network has. Mm-hmm. Um, and va- in, validators don't need to do this in sync. They can kind of just move it forward if they want to, but the whole the validation process is only as fast as uh, you know some of those slower actors so yeah um yeah so once you have that uh rate limit set in what you want to do is given a, a set of transactions that a validator is presented with that is larger than the number that they can fit in this bandwidth constraints who do you pick to go to the front of the line um it's just like what is fair to do so what we do um, is actually just look at this proof of work and put the most difficult solutions in the front of the line. So, um, oh, okay. yeah, so it just, it moves into the front of the line. And actually this is another benefit of our uh, proof of work being outside the signed transaction payload is if you don't like the priority that your transaction's getting, in the network, you can just reapply a higher difficulty proof of work and then put yourself into the front of the line in order to get it um, validated. It's like so, paying, paying a larger fee, you know? It literally is a fee. It's, it's a it's yeah, computational effort or, or scarce scarce physical resources being used. Yep. So um, back to like more of the consensus side of the things, like what, you, you have this voting base system um and you say it collapses so that everybody agrees but are you agreeing on the state of the dags does everybody have the same view on on that or is this uh every node keeps its own sort of like idea of what is true and then um you could kind of query the network to get like what what are you actually what what is the node actually storing about the state of things and what does the voting do to the node's state um yeah so when we describe the DAG and say there's one chain per account, generally what people think is that my account is on my own node and no one else knows it. But that's that's not the case. That goes back to the partitioning thing. So every every validating node and everyone that you know runs just a full node has every single account chain that's in the ledger. So it, they're all tracked by everyone. So the the voting process um, moves these individual transactions from an unconfirmed state to a confirmed state. So your question about like, does everyone have um, a, a uniform view of the network at a given point in time? Not not entirely. They don't have a uniform view of unconfirmed transactions, but they do have a uniform view of confirmed transactions. So this isn't like some other ones where nodes never like come to consensus. We, we do come to an agreement on state uh, continuously. But like at the fringes of you know the last couple seconds of who published transactions, there's a little bit of disagreement as to um, which one's actually been confirmed until the votes come in, they're counted, and then we know what the actual state change agreed by the network was. Gotcha. So all the states are all the chains are being synced, and then the DAG is just a, a method for deciding you know what 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 uh, what's going on in in your voting protocol. Individual pruning. Yeah. Um, yep. So uh, what a what is the storage problems with that and how do you prevent people from just like like i know that the proof of work that you have is uh kind of um a civil cost it's actually deep you know denial of service prevention it seems like Absolutely. like how, how do you prevent people from just creating a ton of accounts and making it really difficult for people to sync your network um well that that is a less of a property of the proof of work mechanism and it's more a property of the transactions per second that get put through it because uh, pe- people with even you know the like litecoin or bitcoin networks can can send out dust transactions and they just sit in the utxo set forever 
uh, growing indefinitely. So, I mean, spammability is, and the faster like you accept transactions, the faster that you accept state changes is the faster that that set can grow. So just simp you want to say something? Yeah, oh, if you don't mind, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Some, the fact that you can pre-compute doesn't like concern you at all. Uh, so like you one at a time. Yeah, but I could have like hundreds of thousands of accounts that I pre-computed, ah. and then all of a sudden I decide and I did it a high-value proof of work. All of a sudden I just dump them all into the network. Um, does that? Does that? Do you have any mechanisms to prevent that kind of attack? Um, right now, we don't have a mechanism on the pre-computed thing. So there's a, there's a couple of you know ideas that we have on it, but also there's some important things to kind of look at for uh, that that type of thing to be happening. So um, when there's one attacker uh, like trying to saturate, you're, you're essentially if we divide up the number of transactions that get confirmed into segments, we can only confirm like a certain number, let's say a hundred per uh, second in the network. So what an attacker has to do is fill all of those 100 slots with the highest proof of work difficulty at that time. And after that one second elapses and they get confirmed, they need to do that exact same thing again. So they, they need to be filling every single slot in, in perpetuity in order to continue to execute this thing. If any, anybody else who's only trying to just do one transaction in the wallet says, oh, it looks like the difficulty, the average difficulty of things that are getting confirmed is four times higher than what I have currently. So I'll just spend four times as much time generating a, a more difficult solution and then publish that one out. And then they'll get put to the front of the line. So th th it is a quality of service. It's, a, it's an anti-denial of service mechanism that people can kind of just put themselves to the front. We, we do have some um, other ideas on how to make it so you can't deeply pre-compute things. You know, if I have a section of the, the let my account ledgers that's offline, I've just built them and I haven't published it. And then, yeah, like you said, dump them out there. Um, that takes time to generate. And we, uh, yeah, there's been proposals to like rotate little extra nuances that you have to get mixed into your proof of work generation. So it can't be more than like an hour old or, or a day old or something. Um, we haven't implemented that yet, but yeah. that's ideas out there. So like the the thing that fees, fees and stuff, they generally, the idea is that the economic incentive is that if somebody decides to do that, then the whole network is still benefiting. Everybody who's validating gets some sort of like, hey, you know, these either the fees get burned or they get redistributed, but the whole network like makes money off of it. Um, and so that somebody doing this is not actually hurting the network. The network's like, fine, that's what we want. We want you to pay more. We want you to do, you know, more difficult things. But in this case, because there's no such like incentive model baked in, it feels as though you're actually um, making it, you know, so that the validators might not even want to do their job. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, the network wants traffic to come through, but also if it's just useless traffic coming through, you kind of are, are killing public usage of the thing. So like there's a couple guys that are handing money in a circle to each other on you know the validators and then the person trying to spam the network, and, but everyone else is kind of left out. And if I'm a business that wants to accept currency and I, I can't accept it because of this thing um i mean it's, it's it's equally as useless as if no one was getting paid um, yeah and you don't want to devalue your own coin i mean what's the point of that so i understand that that argument that makes sense so what kind of chance you know throughput are you seeing um right now we can sustain i think uh 20 to 30 with version 19 on it we made some very significant improvements in version 20 especially with um replacing our database backend um with uh rocks db so that's gotten us a lot um, more on beta that we can do it i, I mean on beta our beta network we try to make it as look as close to um a public network as possible but i mean we can push a couple hundred through that at this time um i don't know how that quite translates out to the uh to the live network but we we haven't done any sort of like public network tests so far because we're new we're changing things like dynamic proof of work which was put in in version 19 and then this new proof of work algorithm just like it's kind of a scientific thing where there's no point in testing something that's going to be in instantaneously invalidated so i see we already we already we already knew by kind of like just looking at the um 
profiling stats during high load where our bottleneck was. And right now it's um, the bottleneck is either bandwidth or IO onto it. And I, the IO problem is going to be a much smaller problem in the near future. I was curious. Um, so I was reading the white paper earlier and you have a, you have a send transaction and a receive transaction um, mm -hmm. that are, that are made from each, each, each account. Uh, what's being validated? Only receive transactions, and then that that like well, I guess like receive is the culmination of of like the total transaction. You can have multiple sends and then one receive. I'd imagine is it is only the like do things only get validated once a receive has been broadcasted, or is it the, like, no. all of them? Yeah, all all of them are validated. Um, so it kind of. Everything that's validated has um, a, a dependency chain that's in there. So mm -hmm. let's say we, we go back to this pre-computed thing. So I pre-compute um, like a soft fork or a double spend into this, and I send them both out. We need uh -huh. to roll back all dependent transactions on this thing. Yeah. So um, so from a risk standpoint is wh where's the risk in this type of thing? So if I'm generating transactions and sending them to myself in a forking manner, you know, I'm risking my own accounts, but from a, it, it's, from a receiver standpoint, what they don't want is they don't want their transaction chain to be rolled back by somebody that's sent to them. So they're, they have a reason to wait for a sender to get their transaction confirmed before they, you know, receive it and link their chain with, with that other chain, essentially at that point by receiving it. Okay, cool. Where do you see where do you see Randall going uh, or like uh, in the near future? What do you, what do you hope, yeah. like what do you see on the horizon? Yeah, you have no smart contracts, but how do, how do people like interact with this? Is it uh, purely payments, or is there some other logic in the future you're thinking about? Or yeah, I mean the only logic that I would look at in the future would be um, privacy if, if that can be done efficiently and um, and quickly. But yeah, we are focused mainly on being a payments coin. Uh, well, not mainly. We're exclusively focused on being a currency, so we're we're trying to be a global digital currency. Um, I think that that it has an enormous use case. There's billions of people in the world that don't have access to bank accounts um, because of of the way the banking system works. They can do that as long as they have internet access now. Um, there's a lot of fees being uh, essentially rent seeked out of people by institutional players, by the central banks, there's inflation. So, I mean, there's tons and tons of advantage to just the very simple concept of having currency out there. And when we focus on this one um, concept, we can dedicate all of our effort to it. It's kind of like goes back to the adage of you, if, if you follow two rabbits, you're going to lose them both. So we, we follow one goal and that's to be the, the most efficient form of money um, for people to use. Uh, so yeah, that it doesn't, Smart contracts have um, some other issues or just like difficulty with it. It's a much more complex problem. And if we had, if we divert our time onto trying to do that, um, it, it's just an opportunity cost that we can't spend on the, the currency part, which has a very large use case. That's what we're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. And so yeah, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to find beachhead industries where things are going to, I think a lot of people in cryptocurrency are trying to do that. But I think that we can actually revisit a lot of these industries that um, weren't able to make use of the, the first generation cryptocurrencies because they technically didn't solve the problem or you know, they were too expensive or slow or something. Um, but now that you know, those problems have kind of been alleviated, we can go back and revisit those. The reason we've been kind of waiting on that is because uh, like, as you guys probably assumed, we are not a fork of anything. So you know, we have a unique code base and that needs to be run through standard software engineering like rigor. So it needs to be examined. It needs to have a lot of time associated with it to make sure that there aren't issues. Um, so we've been playing catch up on that, but you know, we're in a pretty good state now and we're gonna be pushing this out to you know as many of these beachhead industries as we can. That's fantastic. What questions should we have asked you that we haven't asked you? Um, normally we, you know, we, this is a, uh, like, what is the most exciting thing that you're, you're looking forward to in the space? What have you got cooking? Um, I mean, I, th I, I think that the biggest thing that I like is going to be what it can do to help people in um, a lot of these countries that have their own currency supply. 
and it's not it's just not managed very well um so it, it it greatly impacts a lot of people's lives they have a really hard time they can't connect to the rest of the world as far as like economically and it's just a bunch of hassle and it's for no reason it's because it's because um people wanted a, a me too currency it's like well countries issue currencies so we're going to issue a currency yourself it's like currency is not a national thing it's it's it currency is best out there when it has maximum liquidity when the most amount of people can earn it the most amount of people can spend it they can spend it anywhere no no one's interest is served in currency when you have to convert it to another um type of currency and the only reason they do that is so they can all enact their own monetary policy um, which countries will never agree on so i think i think getting this out there and getting this into people's hands and used purely like not from like a self-serving standpoint it's purely from like i think this is going to legitimately solve a lot of problems for a lot of people in the world um is really exciting for me and actually for a lot of our team um we we all share kind of the same goal on that um which is what we're working for where do people Very go cool. to find out more and uh get in touch with you yeah uh well the easiest one is nano.org that's our website and we're doing a little bit of a refresh on that in the next month but it's there and then our twitter is at nano uh, and that's where we put out all our updates and that's where we'll put out information on what we're developing and what a great um, handle to have. <laughs> yeah exactly i mean it took us a little bit to do that we had nano currency before it um i think about after a month of discussion we got at nano so that was fun congratulations on that one that's a hell of a, it's a hell of a handle to have <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks cool. for coming on the show. I really enjoyed that. I, I, I'd like the, the kind of the differentiating architecture of, of um, how you solve the problem. Uh, I always I always enjoy seeing how people um, try and solve this problem differently and seeing what works and what doesn't. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, thanks for talking with you guys. It was fun. Yeah, thanks.